How many are happy to be in the house of the Lord this morning? Can you say amen? amen? Good to see each and every one of you here today, and good to see each and every one of you who are gathered in our online campus. This is the day that the Lord has made. We will rejoice and be glad in it. I got a good word for you today. Don't be scared. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. Genesis chapter 4, verses 1 through 6. It's coming up on the screen. This is what it says. Now Adam knew Eve, his wife, and she conceived and bore Cain and said, I have acquired a man from the Lord. Then she bore again, this time his brother Abel. Now Abel was a keeper of sheep, but Cain was a tiller of the ground. And in the process of time, it came to pass that Cain brought an offering of the fruit of the ground to the Lord. Abel also brought of the firstborn of his flock and of their fat. And the Lord respected Abel and his offering, but he did not respect Cain and his offering. And Cain was very angry, and his countenance fell. We're going to stop there. The title of my sermon today is Killing Cain. Killing Cain. And this is the word in a nutshell. You better kill your Cain before he kills your Abel. You better kill your Cain before he kills your Abel. Father, I pray today in the name of the Lord Jesus that you speak to us mightily by the power of your word and spirit. We give you praise in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. First thing that stands out to me in this story is the naming of these two boys and what it implies. The first son, Cain, Cain, the Hebrew term, literally means to acquire or to possess. And Eve says, for I have acquired a man from the Lord. So she says, I'm going to name him to acquire or to possess, which indicates that she's got high hopes and dreams for this young man. She favors him. He's about to be awesome. This kid's going to have it all. And then she has a second son. She names him Abel, Hevel in the Hebrew, which literally means breath or vapor. In the book of Ecclesiastes, the same word is used over and over again to mean vanity or meaninglessness. Breath or vapor, it conveys a sense of transience. Eve says, Cain's going to have everything, but Abel's not going to amount to much. So Eve respects Cain, but doesn't respect Abel. Eve looks favorably upon Cain, but does not look favorably upon Abel. Eve, the first mother, has a favorite son. And he turns out not to be so good. Now it says that in the process of time, each of these sons brought an offering to the Lord of that which seemed fit to them. Cain brought to God of the fruit of the land because he was a tiller of the soil. Abel brought to God of the fat of his lambs because he was a keeper of sheep. And the scripture said God respected the offering of Cain, but he did not respect, 
sorry, he respected the offering of Abel, but he did not respect the offering of Cain. That word respect there in the Hebrew literally means to pay attention to. God gave the offering of Abel his attention, but he didn't pay any attention to Cain and his offering. He just ignored him. You ever felt ignored by God? You ever felt ignored? We'll get there. And the scripture said that Cain became angry. He was very angry. And the word in the Hebrew that describes Cain's anger is kara. And it literally means to be on fire or to be burning. He was on fire with anger. He was burning with rage. But then it said his face was downcast. Literally, his face collapsed. Cain was burning with anger, and his face collapsed. Now, if you saw me and my face just collapsed, what emotion does that convey to you? Sadness, right? And that word is used over and over again in the Hebrew Bible to convey the sense of sadness, of depression, of defeat. Cain is exhibiting sadness in his body language, but feeling rage and anger in his internal and inside. On the inside, he's feeling rage and anger. On the outside, you can see that he's sad. He's sad and he's angry. Isn't it interesting that his mother names him to possess, to acquire, and the whole story hinges on what he does not possess, what he does not acquire. Somehow his mother builds in him this sense of entitlement that anything you want, baby, you can have, baby boy, whatever you want, you can have, baby. You can have whatever you want. What do you want, baby? What do you want? And the first person who doesn't give him what he wants is God. And Cain is a spoiled little brat. Not because he's blessed, but because he feels entitled to get everything and anything he wants, when he wants it, and how he wants it. Yeah. And anyone who does not give him what he wants becomes the object of his wrath, his anger. Cain is burning with anger, but underneath the anger, he's sad. Historically, his sadness came first. We know this from psychological research, that anger is a secondary emotion. Anger never transpires first. There's always a previous emotion underneath anger that gives rise to it. Anger is a choice, even if it's a micro choice or a choice that we make at the subconscious, that we don't like the primary emotion. It's a rejection often, not always, but it's often a rejection of the primary emotion and an attempt to solve the problem of our sadness by our own power. Anger is often a rejection of sadness. Why? Because sadness makes me feel small. Sadness makes me feel powerless. Sadness makes me feel vulnerable. 
And I don't like feeling small, I don't like feeling powerless, and I don't like feeling vulnerable. So what am I going to do? I am going to solve the problem of my sadness by covering it with anger. And anger makes me feel big. It makes me feel powerful. And it makes me feel invulnerable. Anger is my self-protective mechanism that says, you ain't going to hurt me. Mm -mm. I wish you would. I wish I would. Mm -hmm. <laughs> you know what I was thinking. I ain't going to say it. <laughs> and the entire story and the, the, the totality of the tragedy of the story revolves around, pivots around Cain's rejection of his own sadness. The story would have been completely different had Cain said, you know what, I'm so sad. I wish God would have received my offering. Let me go talk to him and tell him how sad I am. God, I'm just so sad. What if you've just sat in the presence of God and just cried? I feel so rejected. I feel so sad. I don't know why you wouldn't accept my offering. Aren't I your child? In a minute, I'm going to ask you to teach me how to make a better offering that you accept. But in the meantime, can I just tell you how sad? Would you minister to my sadness? What if he would have run to God with his sadness instead of from God in his anger? Because this is the key. Anger always causes us to turn away from God. But sadness can cause us to turn toward him. We reject the very emotion that causes us to come to grips with how utterly dependent we are upon him and how desperately we need him. And we embrace the emotion that causes us to feel like I can become big enough in myself to solve my own dilemma, to satisfy my own desires, and to fix my own problems. I will become a wall of protection around myself. Yeah. Anger is the attempt to hedge yourself about with a wall of fire but it's the fire of your own anger. It is a self-protective mechanism. Yeah. It is your attempt and my attempt to do for ourselves what should be done by the Spirit of God. The name of the Lord is a strong tower. The righteous run into it and are safe. There's safety to be found in the name of the Lord. But anger causes me to run away from that strong tower into the self-protective fortress of my own anger. Better get off me. Better back up off my grill. Better get up out my face. This whole story is about a man that didn't get what he wanted and didn't respond well to the reality that he didn't get what he wanted. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And at the very place where you do not get what you want, your cane is crouching at the door. Cain yeah. is crouching at the door. And if you let him in, you're going to kill your Abel. You better kill your cane before he kills your Abel. You better kill your cane before he kills your Abel. Now watch this. Abel doesn't even know that there's a problem. 
How do I know? Because the next day Cain goes, hey, yo, Abel. And Abel's like, what's up, bro? And Cain's like, let's go for a walk, just you and me. We haven't spent much time together lately. And Abel's like, I was thinking the same thing. How about this field over here, Cain says. And Abel goes, that field is a perfect place for a brotherly walk. Let's watch the sun go down over the horizon. Let's enjoy this brotherly time. Oh, how good and pleasant it is when brothers dwell together in unity. Abel has no clue that his brother is secretly plotting to do him harm. And they're out there in the field, and Abel's like, isn't this so nice? And the next thing he knows, he gets clubbed in the back of the head. Can you imagine how confusing this must be? Yeah. All of a sudden, it's, you're, you're just with your loving brother, and all of a sudden, poof, you get hit in the back of the head, and he's clubbing you to death. And the whole time, Abel's thinking, why? What's going on? You're my brother. What? We're on the same team. Why? I don't get it. You know, like your wife who has no clue why you're snapping at her. Everything was great. And then all of a sudden she said the smallest thing and you snapped at her. And she's like, what? What's going on? What? What have I done? No, what's, what's going on? You're killing your able. All of a sudden, you fly off the handle at your kids, and your kids don't know what's going on. They don't know you had a bad day at work. They don't know your boss reprimanded you for no reason. They don't know that your coworker lied on you. They don't know that you submitted the project and you thought it was good, but your boss said it was terrible and ripped it up in front of everybody. They don't know that, that you had a bad day at work, but you come home and kill your able, and the people in your household have no clue why you're clubbing them with your words. Because the fact of the matter is, Abel had nothing to do with Cain's dilemma. Abel did not reject Cain's offering. God did. But you can't club God. Abel had nothing to do with what happened to Cain. Abel was simply the closest person to him, the person who loved him the most. And the person who loves you the most is typically the person that you take out all of your discontent on. The person closest to you is typically the one who gets the brunt of the discontent that you can't express to your boss at work. The discontent that came even from your childhood that you can't express to mom and dad. Or from your teacher in school when you were growing up, but you can't go back and club that teacher, so you club your spouse, or you club your kids, or you kick your dog. The phenomenon I'm talking about is simple. It's very simple, very simple message today. Killing your cane begins with self-awareness. As a pastor, I've dealt with this in a thousand ways, and the Lord has dealt with me on this subject 10,000 times in the last nearly 20 years of pastoring this church. Somebody says or does something at a church that hurts me, but it's my job to be the pastor, so I've got to be forgiving. So what do I do immediately? It's okay, brother. It's okay, sister. God bless you. The joy of the Lord is your strength. 
And then I go home and my wife says the smallest thing and I snap at her. And she's like, what are you snapping at me about? And then I realize, oh, I didn't properly process my sadness from what happened over here. And because I didn't properly process my sadness from what happened over here, it had to go somewhere. And now it's expressing itself as anger and I'm killing my cane. I'm killing my Abel, excuse me, instead of killing my cane. In order to kill your cane, you've got to identify your cane. The reason why most of the time we don't kill our cane is because we don't identify him. We allow ourselves to be deluded into thinking the way Cain was deluded into thinking that Abel was the totality of his problem. You see, when you embrace anger and rage, there is a logic to anger and rage that only transpires when you are in the midst of anger and rage. The way you act when you are feeling anger and rage makes perfect sense to you at the time. This is the logical next step. Killing Abel is the logical next step. When I'm angry, I believe that my wife is 100% of my problem right now. And that's why I'm talking to her the way I'm talking to her. Or my daughter. When, if I were to step back a moment, which starts with the decision to distrust my logic when I'm angry. That's where you got to start. What do I feel? I feel like this is the worst person in the world. Am I angry right now? Yes, I'm angry right now. Then I can't trust my logic. I can't make any decisions right now. I can't trust anything I think right now because I am in my anger and the anger of man does not satisfy the righteousness of God. In my anger, I am susceptible to a demonic logic that leads me down the path of destruction where I can end up killing my Abel. So the first step is don't trust the logic of anger. Don't trust it. The more furious you are, the less you should trust your own thinking. The more angry you are, the less you should trust your own thinking. I, I, Pastor Mike Perkinson actually taught me to have this thought. I'm not qualified to make any conclusions right now. Yeah. When I feel rage and anger, I'm disqualified. I've just disqualified myself. Yeah. I can't trust anything I think right now. Yeah. Because it feels right. Yeah. It feels right. <clears throat> you know, road rage. You ever experienced road rage? <laughs> See, I, I, I was not self-aware of my road rage. I just wondered why when I rolled down the window to say something to another driver, very nicely and politely, my wife would grab my arm and say, don't say it, baby, please don't say it. Baby, stop, please stop. I'm like, why? I'm talking so nicely and politely. Or so I thought. Because in the logic of rage, when you're experiencing rage, you don't feel like you're angry at all. When the people around you are saying, why are you so angry? You're like, I'm not angry. What are you talking about? I'm completely calm. No, you're not self-aware. You're completely unaware. Or we were at a restaurant. I was at a restaurant with my daughter, and they got her order wrong. And I said, give that to me. And she goes, daddy, 
be nice. <laughs> and I was like, when have I been mean? <laughs> I'm always nice. I'm a nice guy, but she saw something in my eyes that I didn't see, that I was about to rip somebody out a new one for forgetting the tomato. First of all, Lord, grant me the self-awareness to know when I'm in the flesh. To know when I'm not thinking with the mind of the Spirit. To know when I'm out of order. To know when I've rejected my own sadness and clothed myself in a garment of anger to cover myself from the cold and bitterness and loneliness that comes from sadness. Which means I'm not trusting in the Lord. What did the psalmist say in Psalm 16? You will not abandon my soul to the grave, neither will you suffer your Holy One to see corruption. That's faith. That was the faith of Jesus Christ. If they're going to kill me, I'm going to let him kill me. Why? Because he will not abandon my soul to the grave. What if Jesus got angry when they were driving nails in his hands and feet? He could have incinerated all of them. Lord, give me the self-awareness to know when I'm in the flesh. I'm in the flesh. We first started our church. One of the first things we started, I think it was probably before the, the end of year one, was a men's Bible study. Sean remembers those well. And our men's Bible studies were off the hook. Off the hook. We would start at about 7 p.m. Remember, David? Oftentimes, we'd go to 1, 2 in the morning. They were that deep. Nobody wanted to leave. And one night we were gathering. My wife and I lived in this apartment complex over, over in Emeryville. And we ordered the pizza at 8 or 7. We ordered the pizza as, as the men's Bible study started. We were in the, in the community room, and the pizza didn't come till 9. So now I'm teaching, right? I'm deep in the word. And the Greek word for that is agagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagagag
because you were too easy on them, because you let them walk all over you. That's the logic of the flesh. When you're in the flesh, it just makes perfect sense. So I better know when I'm in the flesh so that I can come back into the Spirit. A gentle answer turns away wrath. A gentle answer turns away wrath. First and foremost, Holy Spirit, grant me self-awareness. And a part of that is giving permission to the people that you trust around you to tell you. You're in the flesh right now. My wife will tell me in a second. Why don't you go pray for a little while before we have this conversation? Turn on some worship music in the living room and cry it out before the Lord. Then come back and let's talk. You in the flesh, baby. But then number two, once I become self-aware, I need to practice casting all of my cares and sorrows on him because he cares for me. Let me just ask you this question. When was the last time you wept before the Lord and poured out your, your feelings of anxiety or fear or sadness or lament or disappointment, or discouragement. Like, when was the last time you cried? You went into the presence of God. You got on your knees before God, and you just let yourself cry, and you told him everything. You had a little talk with Jesus and told him all about your problems. When was the last time you cried in the presence of God? If you can't answer that question, you have been holding all of your anxiety and all of your cares and all of your sorrows on the inside of yourself, thinking, I can handle it, I can fix it, and you can't. Weeping before the Lord. You know what I discovered is that crying, weeping before the Lord is not just because the Holy Spirit is touching you. That's the way we say it. The Holy Spirit is touching me. No, it means that I have discovered the depth of my sadness and I found that the only person who can carry it is God. I've learned to take it to Him. I've learned to tap into it. Some of you are so cold in your heart that you've never experienced emotion in the presence of the Lord. You never let him hold you the way a parent holds a child. You need to ask him to soften your heart before him. God, why is it that I can't let you into the deep place of my sadness and sorrow? Because all of us have sadness and sorrow. And you don't realize that the sadness and sorrow that you carry is the key to your freedom. Embracing it. I'm so disappointed. And, and the ones of you that feel like, I'm not disappointed at all. I don't have any sadness. I don't, I'm fine. You're the most disappointed. Because you're so disappointed that you can't even allow yourself to feel it. Because you're so afraid that if you were to open your heart to your own sadness, it would wash you away like a hurricane, like a tsunami. You've got to become acquainted with your own grief. You need to become a man or woman of sorrows. What if Cain would have been okay with this sadness? Just embraced it and just cried it out before the Lord. Just went into the presence of God and just told God everything he's feeling. God, I'm so disappointed with you. I'm so sad that you didn't give me what I wanted. I really wish you would have given me a husband. I really wish that you would have given me a wife. 
I really wish you would have given me a better husband. I really wish you would have given me a better wife. Not as an accusation like Adam did, it's that wife you gave me. That's why I ate the fruit. Had you not given me that wife, I wouldn't have touched the fruit. I wasn't thinking about the fruit till she came with the fruit. Talking about let's eat this fruit. It's her fault and you gave her to me, so it's your fault. That was an accusation. There's a difference between accusation and confession. We know to confess our sins, we don't realize that our anger at the Lord, our discontent with God, is part of those sins that we need to confess to Him. He sees it anyway. You think He doesn't know that you're disappointed with Him? If Cain would have known that he could have cast his cares and sorrows on God, he wouldn't have had to club his brother Abel. And so many of us, even in the body of Christ, are walking around clubbing every Abel we can find. You just got a club in your back pocket and a suit. suit. Take that. Because nobody's going to hurt me in that way again. Nobody's going to touch me in that place and feel completely righteous in doing it. Completely righteous. There is nothing righteous about your anger. There's nothing righteous about my anger. Number one, ask God for self-awareness. Ask God, make me aware. Number two, invite trusted brothers and sisters. A small circle of them. Give them permission to help you grow in your awareness. Number three, cast all your cares and sorrows upon him. That should be your daily spiritual discipline. Don't let the sun go down upon your wrath. Do you know what that means? It means you better embrace your anger before the sun goes down. I mean, embrace your sadness before the sun goes down. If you don't embrace your sadness before the sun goes down, the sun will go down on your wrath. And for many of us, the sun has been going down on our wrath day after day, year after year, decade after decade. It's become a habit. So much so that we don't even feel it anymore. It's like, I'm not angry. I don't feel angry. You're always angry. You've just become so, anger has become such a norm for you that you don't even feel it anymore. Anger is your normal. Wrath is your normal. Don't try to repress your anger. That's not the point, fighting anger. You kill your cane by embracing your sadness. You can just get right under the anger. I'll deal with you in a second. Sit right here. Let's go underneath. Sadness, where you at? Where you at, sadness? That should be your prayer time every day. Lord, help me discover my sadness. Help me find it. And then help me to give it to you. And then the last key is course correct quickly. What does that mean? You're not always going to get it right. Cain is going to raise up his ugly head every once in a while, and you're going to club somebody. When you do, course correct quickly. What does that mean? Say you're sorry. 
Go back to your Abel and say, hey, Abel, I'm so sorry I hit you in the head. I'm so sorry for what I did. I'm so sorry for what I said. I'm so sorry for the way I treated you. I wasn't aware of my sadness, but I've embraced that sadness and taken it to the Lord. But I want to make a commitment to you that I'm going to do everything in my power never to club you in that way again. Don't go to Abel going, well, if you hadn't done this, then I wouldn't have had to do that. Which is a way of saying, I'm not responsible for the way I treat you at all. You are 100% responsible for the way I treat you. So if you want me to stop clubbing you, then you stop getting your offerings accepted by the Lord. <laughs> Course correct quickly. Proverbs 3, 5, and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him and he shall direct your paths. Every believer should memorize that passage. But you've got to understand at the end of that passage is he's going to direct your path. God's going to direct. How many want God to direct your paths? You want him to lead you, right? Well, if you want God to lead you, there's three stipulations, three prerequisites. Number one, you've got to trust him with all your heart. Number two, you've got to stop leaning on your own understanding. Number three, you've got to acknowledge him in all of your ways. You do those three things, he's going to direct your paths. Now, in the moment of anger, I realized, in the moment of anger, I'm not good at not leaning on my own understanding. Because when I'm angry, my understanding feels right. That is the very place where I need to stop and say, I know this anger feels right. But at this moment, I'm going to practice Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. I'm not going to lean on my own understanding. And that's how I demonstrate trust in the Lord. And then I'm going to acknowledge him at this place. I acknowledge him by casting all my cares and sorrows on him. And now he's going to direct my path. That's how you kill Cain. That's how you kill Cain. Some of you got so many canes to kill. And there's a path of dead Abel's behind you. Everywhere you go, you leave just a path of dead Abel's. Some of you need to go back and revive some Abel's that you killed. You need to go back and course correct. Hard for me to say I'm sorry. Some of you, you actually don't club Abel, but you carry all of the cares and sorrows of Cain and don't give them to the Lord. And all of that, all of those cares and sorrows and all of that anxiety, because you're carrying it yourself, it poisons your physical body. Yeah. Some of you are having physical symptoms that are simply the manifestation of your failure to cast your cares and sorrows on God. Yeah. You need to ask the Lord, teach me how to cry in your presence. 
teach me one of the greatest spiritual skills that you can learn is how to cry in the presence of God. What I mean by that is how to cast your cares and sorrows on Him. How to stop carrying it around with you everywhere you go. How to go to God and give Him all of your angst, all of your sadness, and embrace that, that sad place. You feel small, don't try to make yourself feel big. Embrace it and go to him. God, I feel small. You feel vulnerable, don't try to make yourself invulnerable. Self-protection is one of the marks of walking in the flesh. Give it to God. Bow your heads with me and let's pray. Holy Spirit, I pray that you'd sweep over this congregation this morning, every heart, every mind, every soul. That there would be victory. Lord, the victory that we tend to desire is victory over our sadness. And we tend to produce that victory for ourselves by covering it with our anger. And we think we're healed. I used to be sad, now I'm just angry. Not realizing that that's a deeper bondage. Help us to understand that sadness is not bondage. That there's a level of freedom in embracing my sadness. Embracing my vulnerability. And then bringing it to you. Lord, what a privilege we have the privilege of casting all of our cares and sorrows upon you. Cast all your cares and sorrows upon him, for he cares for you. And he cares for you at the very place where you didn't get what you wanted, you didn't get what you needed, or you got what you didn't need. You got something that was harmful, something that hurt. Sadness can become the vehicle that transports you right into the presence of God. Yeah. A broken heart and a contrite spirit he has yet to deny. He might have denied Cain's offering, but he would not have denied his broken heart and his contrite spirit. But he rejected the broken heart and the contrite spirit and embraced the angry heart. Is your heart broken? Good. Not good that your heart was broken, but good that you can identify that and embrace that because a broken heart and a contrite spirit, he has yet to deny. He is close to the brokenhearted. He saves such as trust in him. Like as a father filled with compassion pities all his children, so the Lord has mercy on those who fear him. When you come to him in your brokenness, in your sadness, in your fear, in your smallness. Not looking for Him to solve it. That's one of the greatest problems is I go to God with my sadness and I want Him to solve my sadness. And actually His answer is not even to solve my sadness, but to communicate His presence to me in the midst of it. Because all Cain wants is the presence of the Lord, but because he embraced anger and rejected sadness, he was driven from the presence of the Lord. 
He went out from the presence of the Lord at the end of the, serv- at the, end of the story and dwelt in the land of Nod, in the land of wandering. And so many of us have been wandering outside of the presence of the Lord and we feel cut off from God. It's simply because we've gone the way of Cain. We've rejected our own sadness and embraced anger. We're constantly trying to drive people away and push people away. We've built walls around ourselves to keep people out. And we push the Lord away. God wants to bring you back today from the land of wandering. He wants to bring you back into His presence. And when we think about the presence of God, we tend to think about ecstatic experiences of tongues and being slain in the Spirit and the feeling and and all of these things. Sometimes the presence of God is just a sense of His presence in the midst of your sadness. Him drawing next to you, coming next to you and putting His arm around you at the place where you're hurting the deepest, where you haven't allowed yourself to grieve and saying, I'm with you. I'm with you always. I'll never leave you. I'll never forsake you. Cast all of your cares and sorrows on me, for I care for you. Young people, you got to learn this at a young age, how to cast your cares and sorrows on the Lord, how to come to the Lord and tell him on a daily basis how sad you are. Whatever happened every night before you go to bed, instead of, you know, saying, now I lay me down to sleep, I pray the Lord my soul to keep, instead of those types of prayers, take it upon yourself to just think through the day. Did, I, did anything hurt me today? Did anything make me sad today? Tell the Lord about it. Tell the Lord, before I go to sleep, i got to tell you, this happened today, and it made me sad. This happened today, and it hurt me. This happened today, and it made me angry. This happened today, and I felt rejected. This happened today. Would you help me? If you can get in the habit of doing that on a daily basis, God will help you on a daily basis. You'll cast your cares and sorrows on Him, and you won't carry it anymore. He'll lift it. Learn to let yourself cry. Lord, would you teach us how to weep in your presence? Not as an ecstatic experience, but just as a casting our cares, casting our sorrows on you, trusting in you, giving it all to you. I pray that you would do it by your spirit and by your power. And I pray, Father, that you would communicate to each and every one under the sound of my voice today how much you love us. God wants you to know today how much he loves you. That's what this sermon is all about. He loves you. That's why he's inviting you to bring him your cares and sorrows. You don't need to make yourself big. He's big enough. He's big enough to carry all of your cares and sorrows. Father, I just speak the comfort of the Holy Spirit over every soul over every heart, freedom. Let the fruit of this message be healing in relationships, healing between husband and wife, healing between parent and child, healing between brother and sister. Lord, if anyone is harboring unforgiveness in their heart, put it within them to kill their cane. Unforgiveness, kill your cane. If any unforgiveness in this house is separating brother from sister, sister from sister, brother from brother, Lord, I pray that you would put it within our hearts to kill our cane. Empower us by the power of the Holy Spirit to do that today. And let there be reconciliation. Let us be tender-hearted, forgiving one another, 
even as God in Christ forgave us. I speak blessing and encouragement over every soul today. In Jesus' mighty name. Amen. Amen.